Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 3. If you'll keep those open, we're going to be looking at that chapter. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. Uh, I get to be one of the ministers here and pleased to be able to do that. And we're glad you're with us. As Eric explained, we're in this series called Real Life Wisdom, looking at the book of James. And what James teaches us about some things that we all will find interest in. In week one, we talked about real life truth. How does it play out in the way we live our lives? Then we talked about real life faith. And today we're going to talk about real life self-control. But what I'd like to do is, is use the example that James does. The overarching theme is uh, self-control. The reality of it is, is words. So I have a collection of some things that a teacher in Maryland, she taught for 30 years, and she dealt with language arts, <clears throat> and she had a couple of activities where she wanted her students to use word pictures to capture an image that would be indelible. And here's some of the good and bad examples that she's had through the years. Uh, Russell, in her very first year, Russell wrote these words. The little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball would not. Fair. I really like this one. No one else seems to, but I think it's really good. Roy wrote, from the attic came a howl. The whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality. Like when you're on vacation in another city and Jeopardy comes on at 7 instead of 7.30. That was really well done. This one, judge for yourself. Her eyes were like two brown circles with big black dots in the middle. Yeah, I would have flunked that one as well. Uh, I like this one. Her date was pleasant enough, but she knew that if her life were a movie, this guy would be in the credits as something like second tall guy. And then Russell wrote, John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. Yeah, that one fails. And this was my all-time favorite. Her vocabulary was as bad as, like, you know. Then I came across a list of famous last words. See if you can relate to these. What happens if you touch these two wires to... Or husbands, this one's probably one that we would say. We don't need reservations. Or, I can fix it and save us money. Or, I've never seen a cop on this stretch. And then my favorite, I thought you said your mother was only staying the weekend. (laughs) Words. James uses words to talk about self-control because it is indelibly in all of us that we wish we could back the tape up a little bit at times, don't we? Words matter. Statistics prove that you have 30 conversations a day and spend 20% of your life talking. In one year, your conversations would fill 66 books of of 800 pages a book. If you're a man, you speak an average of 20,000 words a day. If you're a woman, (laughs) you speak 30 to 40,000 words a day. And I speculate 80% of those come between 6 and 8 p.m., but that's just a guess. It's, It's just a guess. It's been said, no gift is opened more inappropriately at the wrong time than our mouths. Every chapter of the book of James has something to say about what we say. 
I want you to notice that. People have said, I've heard this more in this series, which is surprising to me, the number of people who have come up to me and say, James is my favorite book. And I, I believe part of the reason it is our favorite book, for the most part, is it's very practical. Romans and Ephesians are my two favorite New Testament books. Not that it makes me superior. Romans is hard for me to understand, but it makes me think differently and it corrects some false assumptions. But James is so practical. It can be lived out so easily that we lean toward James and I get it. But here's what I want to remind every one of us. James is not a book that you just go out and do better with. James is revealing to us where the power to live differently comes from. And it's a different source than most of us speculate. So because James talks about words as an example of self-control, let's begin with verses 1 and 2. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. It's quite interesting that James would give such weight to words. He says our words matter And we're accountable for every word we say, which is a frightening proposition, to be honest. The word perfection in the Greek does not mean flawless or sinless. The word perfection that he uses here about being a perfect man means to be healthy and mature. means to be wise. Because remember, knowledge is not enough. Knowledge has to be put into practice, which is what we call wisdom. Have you ever noticed when you go to a doctor and you say you don't feel well, what's the first thing they check? Your mouth, your tongue, your throat, because it indicates to them what may be going on inside of you. So what is the big deal about my words? James gives us in this chapter three things about our words that are worth measuring. The first is this. My words reveal where I am directing my life. If I want to know where I'm headed, listen to what I'm saying. And not just saying, but living out. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. It's interesting. You want to be able to to know where you're going? You want to know where you're going to be in five to ten years? Look at the things that you're spending your time talking about. Look at the things you're spending your time thinking about. Look at the the things you're spending your life longing for, and you'll know where you'll be in five to ten years. He used an example of a 1,000 to 1,200-pound racehorse can be controlled by a little piece of metal that's put inside and under their tongue that controls the direction of their body by a 95-pound jockey. When you look at that, James has given us a perfect example. The direction of our life is indicated by the words we use and what they say about us and what they say about our passions. Verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. The pilot couldn't move the boat, couldn't pick up the boat, couldn't change the boat's direction, but that little rudder in the water directs where it goes. James has given us two very good word pictures. Some people think if the tongue has such influence, maybe it's best to say nothing. Now, some of us in the room here today, based on our differences, some of you don't say very much. Your spouse tells you that all the time. You're really quiet. You're introspective. Your thoughts stay private until you're ready to reveal them. I have a friend, Louie, who says this, and I understand exactly what he's saying. He said, sometimes I don't know what I believe until I say it. And that may seem strange to some of us in the room. Others of us, we talk a lot. And some of us, we talk until we think of something to say. (laughs) Right? 
And so we're split in this room. Some of you are like, well, I, I need to speak more. And some of you are like, I need to say less. I remember one year we were studying James at a Christ and Youth Move, and I was a youth minister back in those days, and I had a group of six or seven students with me. And, and one day I was really convicted by one of the preachers that I just talked too much, and I, I tried too hard to be funny, and blah, 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 and I just needed, I'm going to go one day, and I'm not going to say anything until I need to say something. And at lunch that day, the youth kids were sitting around the table, and one of them said, what's wrong with you? And I explained to them what I was doing. And a girl in our youth group back then named Tanya looked at me and she goes, we miss you. And I realized I must talk a lot because being quiet, they wanted to call 911. There's an imbalance in the room. Some of you talk a lot and some of us don't talk much. And so here's what I want you to do when we're talking about this is direction of your life is a choice. So whether you talk a lot or talk a little, we're talking about when you speak. You see, in Proverbs 17, 28, when a fool is thought wise, if he, keeps his, if he keeps silent and discerning, if he holds his tongue. But we're not here to worry about what people think. We're here to connect with the source of life in God. The second thing James tells us is, my words have significant consequences. In verse 5, about these significant consequences, he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. A careless word can destroy a life, can't it? And I'm not talking theoretically. There are some of us in this room who know that in a moment, we have said something we should not have said, even though it may have bordered on truth, but it was highly emotional, it was flammable, and it set fire a relationship, it wounded a child, it hurt an employee, it took power and used it as a weapon, and now we look back and say, if I could back the tape up just a bit, even though I may have been right, the way I did it wasn't right, and the words I abuse. If you've been married for any season of time, you've had a moment where your spouse has looked at you and seen that you wanted to say something, and your spouse has looked at you and said, go ahead, say it. Have you been there? And you sit down and go, oh, it feel good. It really feel good. And then you stop and go, but what would happen to us? What would happen to everything we've invested in? I'm not going to say it. It doesn't need said. It would only burn. And so in that moment, James has warned us. The tongue can not only have the power to direct where you go, it also has the power to destroy what you've done. Proverbs 18.20 from the Good News Translation, you have to live with the consequences of everything you say. James verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, he completes that sentence by saying, it sets the whole course of life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. Sometimes one statement, one word, one thoughtless action can do more damage than all the good you've ever done and all the good you've ever invested. So, are we intimidated by words? Not as much as we should be. But I don't want you sitting here today going, ah, he's going to pound us in the ground on this. No, no, I want you to hear James' words. Remember, this is not about you and me as much as it is about the power available to us in God to weigh what we do, to weigh what we say, and to pay attention to it. James says if you've got to learn the power of your words, not only because it can direct where you go, it can destroy what you have, Proverbs 21, 23, if you want to stay out of trouble, be careful what you say and choose well. The difference between a well-spoken word and a misspoken word is a choice. 
The, the difference between a well-written line and a line that just flows quickly is a choice. There are things that come from us that may be true and they may be effective. And for some of us, they may even be funny, but are they necessary? Are they helpful? Are they edifying? Or are you just being right or funny or whatever the purpose behind it was? Verses 7 and 8, uh, James goes into detail here. And this is where I want us to see for a moment what the consequences are. All kinds of animals have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But none of us can tame it on our own. We have to have help. We have to have community. We have to have the power of God's spirit working in us. In fact, the Greek word here is the word poison or venom, speaking of a snake. And it reminds me of a story, and it's not a, I'm going to warn you in advance. The this, this story's not cute. It's not funny. It, it's shocking. It's a story I read 20 to 25 years ago, recorded by a man who's working in Pennsylvania on a road crew. And he would pass by the same area to the site most every day in his pickup truck. And he would go by some quarries. And one summer, as he was going out to do this road work in Pennsylvania, he would go by this quarry and there was this young boy fishing. He estimated his age between 8 and 12. And he was fishing every morning. And, and after a couple of days, he would stop and holler at the kid. And the kid would holler. And he was out there every morning with his, with his equipment. He just thought that was pretty cool. A kid spent his summer doing that. And one morning, he stopped. And he said, hey, how are the fish biting? And the kid looked back at him and said, the fish aren't biting, but the worms sure are. And the guy thought that was funny. And he kind of thought it was cute. And he drove down. And he always stopped at this little quickie mart on the way to the work site to get himself a cup of coffee. He started having a conversation with the college kid who was working there that summer. And he came in one morning, and a smile on his face, and the college kid said, what's so funny? He said, I just went by that fishing hole, that kid I've been telling you about, and I said to him, how are the fish biting? He said, the fish aren't biting, but the worms are. And he said, the college kid got this look on his face of real concern, and he ran out of the store, and he got in his car, and he drove down the road. So he said he left his money for the coffee on the table, and he came back the next morning, and the little boy wasn't at the fishing hole. When he came to the quickie mart, he said, hey, yesterday, what happened? You just pulled out of here, and kid said, well, he said, when you said what you said, I realized what had happened. That little boy had mistaken a nest of rattlesnake babies for earthworms. So the entire time he was threading the hook, he was being bitten, and rattlesnake babies are born with their full venom, and the little boy, he didn't make it. It's a horrible story to tell in church. But I want you to understand, for some of us, we think that the words we use aren't that bitter. They aren't that poisonous. They did. It was just one thing, Mark. But over years, we all know, don't we, how words can tear down and destroy like a poison. They have to be chosen more than just, it just happened. Now, there are moments where emotions get the best of every one of us. That's why we're talking today about self-control. We're talking about that our words have consequences that affect more than just us. They affect many things. Proverbs 15.4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. So James is showing us that our words reveal the important things in our life and secondarily have significant consequences. And thirdly, my words reveal my heart. It reveals what's inside of us. James points out that how inconsistent we can be if left just to our own strength and abilities. James 3.9, the tongue we praise our Lord and Father And with the same tongue, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. From the same mouth comes praise and cursings. My brothers, this should not be. But it is, isn't it? 
And I want you to notice this. Dan McGrew and I were talking before service. He was praying with me before the message this morning. And, and what we both noticed in studying James in the series, and he said he noticed it in his personal Bible study this week, is that James uses the word brothers over and over and over. Please note, James is not talking to heathens. He's talking to the church. This letter was written to churches, not outsiders. And he says we're inconsistent, aren't we? One moment we're praising Jesus, and the next moment we're telling the same persons we just worshipped with how to drive through the corner of 96 and D. And we question whether or not they should be here. And we can assassinate character with the same mouth that speaks of the mercy and goodness of Jesus, and our words sometimes don't hold that same balance. And therein lies our challenge. Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. I don't even say this to be funny. One of the most startling passages that every word that is proceeded from my mouth will appear before the throne of God. Yikes. I've had moments that I don't want anybody to ever hear me say what I said. And therein, every word proceeds by God. The same mouth that praises can also destroy Verses 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Remember that. Whatever comes out of the spigot came from the well. So if bitterness and anger and slander come out of our mouths, it's because that's what's in our hearts. That's the spot you and I can't fix. It has to be fixed for us. I can't go to a doctor with a heart problem and say, I did my own surgery. I need someone who sets me aside and does the work in me. I need someone who's able, someone who's qualified, someone who's trained. I need Jesus. Can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. I can't even erase the words I've said that have hurt my wife and boys. I need someone to help me with that, and it's not me. See, the problem is not really my tongue. The problem is my heart. I can fool people with certain words in certain moments, but ultimately what comes out in the water came from the well. And what's going on inside of me is going to come out of me. Matthew twelve thirty four. Jesus said, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, I just did some jotting this week thinking, how do I deal with my inconsistencies? What is the real cause of my problem? So if I have a problem with my tongue, I have a problem with my heart. So if I have a harsh tongue, I have an angry, unforgiving heart. If I have a negative tongue, I have a competitive, fearful heart, afraid someone's going to take my place. If I have an overactive tongue, that means I have an unsettled heart. If I have a boasting tongue, It's because I have an insecure heart. If I have a filthy tongue, it's because I have an impure heart. If if I have a critical tongue, it's because I have a bitter heart. What comes out of the well will come out of the spigot. Jesus taught me that. So my tongue directs and shows me what's important to me. It destroys, it can destroy what I've built my life on, and it reveals my character. So I want to give you two things to do. And when I mean by doing them, it'd be better to say, I got two things I want you to surrender to. If you want to change what comes from you, you have to change what's inside of you. So here's the first thing to surrender to. Seek a new heart. It won't be by changing your habits. 
This is not behavioral modification. This isn't try harder and do better. It doesn't work. Seek a new heart. Ezekiel 18, 31, the prophet says, rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. And those come from a source outside of us. Painting the pump doesn't change the water. So, how do I get a new heart? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul wrote this very powerful passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What God did was he gave us Jesus to change us from being about ourselves to being about everyone else. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. A new life, a new heart, a new purpose. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's taking on a new life. So we have to seek that. And I don't mean you seek it back on the day that you were saved. I mean you seek it every day of your life. If I don't wake up trying and working to be like Jesus, I unfortunately will wake up being Mark. And that's not worked out so well. So if I want to live a new life, I have to wake up every day saying, I get to be Mark or I get to be Jesus. And I'm not going to be good at being Jesus. But even not being good at being Jesus is a better version than I am being Mark. So I submit and I surrender to a new heart. God, today, reconcile in me that I might offer somebody a reason to trust in Jesus. Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Now, I'd like that to stay on the screen for a moment. As you see that on the screen, I want you to notice when David wrote this. After he had, now listen to the list of what that dude did. He lied to his advisors He slept with another man's wife, and then he had the man killed when he found out the woman was pregnant. And in that moment, instead of going before God saying, you'll have nothing to do with me because I am such a failure, I'm such a sinner, David, because he was a man after God's own heart, he was able to cry out to God in the worst moment of his public and private life. He cried out to God, create in me a clean heart, because he knew his God could. He didn't say, I'm such a loser, there's no hope for me. He said, my only hope is God. And he asked God to create a new heart. And here's the question I have for you, church. Did God do that? Absolutely. So what do you do? If what's coming out of the spigot isn't coming out of a clean well, you ask for God to dig a new well in you. Do you remember the words of Jesus? I will give you living water and you'll thirst no more. A spring of living water will pour out from among you. This is the promise we have. And then lastly, surrender your heart to produce words of life. Awaken every day to say, God, I want to give you glory. I want to give you good news. I want to offer hope and peace. And that doesn't mean, here's, here's something that some of us will struggle with. That doesn't mean we don't correct. That doesn't mean we don't challenge. It doesn't mean we, we say that what everyone's doing is awesome and they're awesome and life's awesome. That's a lie. Sometimes we have to speak words of truth, but we speak them with grace. We speak them with hope. Instead of saying the life you're living is not honoring to God, we offer them the opportunity to honor God, not just condemn. We offer reconciliation. Psalm 141.3 may be a verse that many of us could memorize and make our morning prayer. Psalm 141.3 rather says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Allow me today, God, to speak the words that need spoken the way they need to be spoken. 
be a good word, wouldn't it? Psalm 35, 28, my tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praises all day long. And I don't know why I need to say this, but I really feel I do. There are some people who talk about Jesus in such a bumper stickerish way that nobody believes it. All day long, it's praise the Lord this and praise God this, and there's no context, there's no relationship, there's no understanding. I don't think we're supposed to walk around like robots. I think we're supposed to be humans who can say, like someone will say to me, you all know me, right? If someone said to me, where's the best hamburger in town? You better sit down because we're going to have a 30-minute conversation. I'm going to give you nine or ten options and offer to take you there right now. I am committed. I am in. I'll take you to my favorite hamburger place and show you where to get it and where are the best fries in town and how to make it. I'll even take the first bite for you. I love you that much. But when we Christians don't have that same passion for the things of the Lord, why why are we surprised no one wants to follow Jesus? Let my words speak the goodness of my God. Let me praise my God legitimately to talk about what he's done in my life and how he's redeemed me from being me. I think that's what our friends need. Romans 8, 6 through 11 from the contemporary English version is our challenge this morning. If our minds are ruled by our desires, we will die. But if our minds are ruled by the Spirit, we will have life and peace. Our desires fight against God because they do not and cannot obey God's laws. We are unable to be everything, or unable rather, to be everything we think we should be. If we follow our desires, we cannot please God. You are no longer ruled by your desires, but by God's Spirit who lives in you. People who don't have the Spirit of Christ in them don't belong to Him. But Christ lives in you. So you are alive because God has accepted you. Even though your bodies must die because of your sins, yet God raised Jesus to life. God's Spirit now lives in you, and He will raise you to life by His Spirit. Surrender. Surrender each and every day. I'm not going to live by my own power. I'm not going to do what I've always done. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And most of us are here because we don't want that anymore. There's, there's a power available in Jesus I've not ever fully experienced. And I just don't want to come on Sundays. I want to experience, is this real or not? And James and, Peter, or excuse me, James and Paul are talking to believers. Sidlow Baxter once said, The proof that God's Spirit is in your life is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but that you control the tongue you have. Self-control. James said it's most indicated by the words we speak and how we speak them. Fill your minds with the Word of God, with positive things, whatever things are true, whatever things are good. Back in chapter 1, James said this in verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that'll take a lifetime, won't it? The world says this, the world calls you to achieve, to climb, to take over, to seize. The world would tell you, go out and do better. You can do this. And I'm here to tell you, the kingdom of God tells you just the opposite. It doesn't say to climb, to achieve, to take over. It says to do the opposite, to submit, to surrender, to obey. Because therein the Spirit of God begins to work the kingdom of God rather than self-power. See, self-control in the Bible is found by surrendering control. And then the Holy Spirit abides in us 
and teaches us how to be a living offering, a living sacrifice, a living testimony, somebody who the world would look at and say, that person's been with Jesus. And isn't that what we want? To be an example of the Savior we love so much. So we can do it the world's way, or we can seek a new heart and surrender to the Spirit's leading and find that self-control is out of our control. And it's all about Him. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.